0: You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Volter Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox each episode a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's guest is Nicole Ritchie. I was a bit nervous about this one. I, I for a while thought she's Nicole is so so funny but I find her comedy a bit confounding um, because you really don't know what's real and and what is pretending to be real and where the line is. So I honestly, like, didn't know which was the comedy that she created and which was just sort of things that naturally occurred. And and that was there from the beginning, from her start on The Simple Life from 2003 to 2007. She was Nicole Richie. We were being introduced to her. But she always seemed to be in on the joke. But again, you didn't know exactly where she was in it. And then that that became even clearer when she did Candidly Nicole, which started as a web series in 2013 before running for two seasons on VH1 from 2014 and 2015, where it it was a hybrid of a, a sitcom and a reality show where it was clear she was playing herself, but also she was doing things that did interact with her real life. And also it was very unclear if the people she was talking to knew she was playing Nicole Richie or if she was just being Nicole Richie. And then most recently, her newest multimedia project, Nikki Fresh, is is her most sophisticated installment of this career-long pursuit of hers. Uh, it's a quote-unquote parent trap album about the environment and connecting to nature. And it is really unclear where the joke exactly is and which part is an exaggeration because Nikki believes in all of these things. These are all songs about her earnest opinions. However, it is a parody, I guess. It's it it's hard to voice until you sort of see it and hear it. And along with the album, she did a show for Quibi, which is in the style of Candidly Nicole, of this sort of hybrid of Kirby Enthusiasm or or Borat, where she's playing herself. She's interacting with some people who are plants and some people who don't know what's happening. And it again creates this stew of uncertainty that she clearly really loves playing in. Where again she's playing herself, but herself as this musician. But she is actually she is that musician because she is making that music, and she is making music about things she cares about. But it's all a joke. But again, I I do not know which part is a joke. Um, and I and I can't think of much similar to sort of this lifelong pursuit Nicole has been doing with her comedy there there's i guess andy kaufman's time as a wrestler or, or more rec- or more recently chelsea paredes coffee album but the difference is nicole ritchie is like super very gossip magazine famous so people have an idea of who she is and her work like deliberately fucks with what people think of her so we'll start with one of the songs from her album unearthed called bees tea Like every track on the album, there's a music video for the song that was included in an episode of the Quibi series. In this case, it was an episode about, well, Bees, co-starring Bill Nye, a person she never met before, and Lionel Richie, her real-life father. So, here is Nicole Richie.
2: Why aren't we saving the bees? You know it's an issue for me up in the hives trying to survive we treat them like an enemy they're sparking the cycle of life keeping the planet alive pollinating no complaining two million flowers alive apples, pears, vanilla, coffee, almonds, avocados, watermelon, cabbage, Ooh, we really hit the lotto a pesticide homicide and we'll be soon to follow because if these bees are gone today then we'll be gone tomorrow you kill these insects that's the worst flex Be driven in five alive we're swimming in pesticides i put on my mask i put on my vest where'd you get your nuts dummy you just failed the test call us a colony but don't call us to bother me because i'm with the worker bees i'm just trying to save the queen i hold my bees up like a goddess they making mad honey these bees
1: From you and me So I'm here with the the woman behind the song you just heard, Nicole Ritchie. thank you for joining me.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on this podcast.
1: Uh, so let's start talking about bees. Uh, when and how yes, did you How did your interest in them start?
3: So um, I, I I did this show for VH1, Candidly Nicole, and I met these beekeepers that live in Chatsworth. I mm-hmm. live in L.A. They are down in Chatsworth, and I met them for the show. But as we were, you know, I did it more like as a bit. But mm-hmm. in in the process of meeting them and speaking to them and really understanding the danger that bees are in and how lovely it would be for me to have um a hive for them, I decided to stay in touch with them, and I decided to keep bees. Mm. Now, let me also say that I have two children, so I was like, I wanna keep them, but I don't want them to be at my house because I'm scared I'll get stung, so I'm gonna put them at my dad's house and not tell him. Um, And so that's what I ended up doing. I got two hives, put them at my dad's, he loved them at first, um, and then he ended up kicking them out, Mm-hmm. Um, which is, that's fine. That's a separate issue. And, uh, they are now staying with my beekeepers down in Chatsworth, which is great because I actually get to go down there and harvest the honey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I really fell in love with.
1: So you like, you visit your bees. You're just like, how, how are you doing at Like sort of bee camp?
3: It's been less of a like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, especially, you know, with this new world mm-hmm. where we are living in. Um, more just like, hi, just checking in and want to thank you so much for everything you do for us as human beings. And also, can I get a little honey?
1: Got it. So in 2014, which is around when um, that episode of Candidly Nicole aired, a few things also happened. You started tagging your Instagram vegetables and egg photos, Nikki Fresh, and also you rapped as Nikki Fresh on VH1's You Ought to Know concert event, though you didn't really necessarily talk about gardening in in that. Can you talk to me about the sort of creation and formation and then evolution of this idea and persona even before you were pitching her as a show?
3: Yeah. So um, I started an edible garden about six or seven years ago and it was just something that I really connected to and fell in love with. Um, the idea of planting something and watching it grow and then like, for example, with mint, having mint almost die and then you like look at it and talk to it and give it loving words and a little bit of water and, and, and the next day it's just like bursting with life. Like mm-hmm. that was something that was very cool to me. So I started posting all my harvests on Instagram because that's what Oprah did. And so I was like, well, I have to do that as well. and. I uh, started getting a lot of likes. And I would say by the third like, I was like, sounds like I need a stage name. Mm -hmm. And so I named myself Nikki Fresh, um, which I felt lent itself very well to being a musical icon and a gardener. And I think the name, I mean, definitely the name came first. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, yeah, so like from there... I just I and I mean like, you know, even like my friends will call me Nikki Fresh. Like, I mean, definitely more before the show n- yeah. than you know, now it's like a thing, so they don't, but um but yeah, I've been calling myself Nikki Fresh for a very long time.
1: It was almost at first sort of like an inside joke, I guess with your followers and also yes. your friends. Yes. Like it was an it was a thing you would say like, "Oh, I'm going to make this. I'm going to I'm this is my rap persona before you even considered actually doing something with it."
3: Yes, and also I was playing music to my to my vegetables because that does help them grow. And and for me, I, you know, I was born in the 80s. I love 90s music. I love 90s hip hop, R&B. So like that's what I was really listening to. Um and it felt like they were really responding to that. So I was like, I have to figure out a way to bring this back to mm. to them.
1: So then how did it transition into like I'm going to now do this as as a project of a multimedia project <laughs> make this project. a professional
3: job. <laughs> yeah. Um well it you know kind of like you said it it was it's it started out as this kind of like inside thing with my friends and I and I really wanted to do this comedy album. Mm-hmm. So I talked to Joel my husband about it a little bit and you know when you talk to your husband about something at home it's like oh yeah that sounds like a good idea but I was like okay I have to really, I have to set a meeting with him. So that's what I did. I called his office. I set a meeting with him and his brother and the music team. Mm -hmm. Um, I walked in the office. I was the only girl there. And I brought in a Wendell Berry book and a Rupi Kaur poem and recited The Sun and Her Flowers, which is my favorite Rupi Kaur poem. And said, you know, after I was done, I said, this is the inspiration for this rap album that I want to do, and I got a few head tilts. You know, I mean, I think yeah. everyone was being very supportive. You know, they were like, "Okay, okay," you know, and and um, so we sat and talked about making it happen and how we were going to do it. And so I just started going into the studio and writing a little bit, and then then I sat down with Quibi, which I was very mm-hmm. excited to meet with them. Um, I'm a huge fan of of Jeffrey Katzenberg and you know, just really liked and understood the concept of doing these quick shows. I had done a show, Candidly Nicole, that started out as a web series. So, you know, when I talked to them about doing something, doing a show that was around five five or seven minutes, I decided to create a show around the character of mm-hmm. Nikki Fresh. So to, you know, really kind of give give the music some backstory of like, who is she? Where is she coming from? Is she me or is she not? Is she sane or is she not? I still don't have the answers to those, sure. but, uh, you know, it's good that they're out there.
1: <laughs> uh, so I think what I've heard is it sort of you do the outlines of the episodes before you, like, fully started writing the song. So if that's okay, let's talk about the the Bee episode first. Can you talk about how the, how the idea of that episode evolved um, and the, the sort of beats of it?
3: Yeah. Um, so for Bees, it was actually... Very simple. In that episode specifically, um, I had one goal in mind, and that was to be on screen with Bill Nye, the science guy. Sure. I know that he loves bees like me, um, and anybody who does love bees, I think, you know, really does care about colony collapse and, you know, are always trying to find ways to communicate to people that we can't be here without them. so, uh, you know, so we so we created we created this episode, and actually, there's a little argument between me and my dad right before the music video comes on, like right at the end of that episode about the bees being kicked yes. out. Um, and that actually did come from a real place because my dad was wondering why his honey stopped coming, and I said, mm. "Well, it stopped coming because you threw out my bees, so I'm no longer giving you honey. Um, But the point of that episode was to really try and find a good home for bees, you know, and just kind of communicate to people how much bees need a safe environment.
1: So how are you writing the show? And, and, And more so, how much writing? Like, how much is it written? Or how much is it sort of like, sort of outlined improv?
3: Um, it's definitely written. We don't always stick to the exact lines, which I'm totally fine with. Um, but it is written out. I would say it's a nice hybrid. It's more than an outline. Mm. Um, but we are very loose when we're there because we're also interacting with real people. And, you know, you never know what kind of character you might get on the fly, you know?
1: I've heard you talk about Curb Your Enthusiasm as a show you're a big fan of. And also, obviously, there's an influence of Curb on this. Can you talk about that influence as a show also that uses a sort of like hybrid, like strong outline model?
3: Um, Well, yes, I am a huge fan of Curb. I think that Larry David is really the king of embracing and appreciating the perception of what people might think about him. You know, Mm. I think that he's a good example of, like, he's obviously not going to build a spite store and then burn it down, you know, but, like, but I think in his dreams, he would want to, you know, I think if his soul could wake up and actually do something and not pay any consequences for it, yeah, I'm sure (laughs) he would. And I would say that, yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of how I approach Nikki Fresh, also. Um, I don't necessarily garden in a Masoni gown, but I can imagine and appreciate that people think that I would. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm on board with that perception.
1: So in terms of making the song, so you've you've talked about you sort of had a few collaborators, your husband, Joel, uh, Sarah Hudson, who I believe is a songwriter, the producer, yes. Andrew Goldstein. So how does how exactly does Beastie come together?
3: So it kind of starts like this. I, I, I go into the studio. Well, first of all, let me say this. And this, this wasn't with Beastie because it wasn't the first song that we recorded. But when we got our team together, so we assembled our team. And I said, okay, guys, you know, day one, what time should I be at the studio? Mm-hmm. And they said, they said, how's eight? And I was like, oh, eight o'clock is great. I'll drop my kids off at school. I'll go to Earth Bar, get a <laughs> smoothie. And I'll be there like 8, eight fifteen. Is that okay? And they were like, no. 8 PM. And I was like, right, I'm a rapper now. So my life starts at night. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to have to switch my inner clock because that is my turndown time. But I do know that that's when people come alive. And so, okay, great. No, Mm. no problem. I will be there at 8 PM. So when we were writing this song, so we had our, our, our team together, we're in there Sarah and I are really just kind of having this, like, bee therapy session. So I'm just talking to her about my bees, about how I, my journey into, into keeping bees, what honey brings me, what the bees give us, listing all the foods that they are responsible for. And as we're talking about and having this bee therapy session, the keyboard comes in. It's like, it's like a soundtrack it's actually like, I would like that system in my real therapy sessions. I would like yeah. to talk about my feelings and then have Andrew Goldstein come in with the keyboard and start playing a melody that he thought would coexist with my actual feelings. And that's sure. what that process was like.
1: So so you would just sort of, you would talk about Bees and then sort of, he set music to sort of what your conversations are. And then you you would have almost like a mood board of like bee associations that you could figure out how to sort of plug into the lyrics
3: yeah i mean so we call it yeah so we call the song bees tea so the T on the bees is that they are dying and without them we can't be here right so mm-hmm. like that's the whole base and like you know, then just started talking about everything that they give us and, you know, really wanted to create an anthem for them because they do do so much for us. And I just thought they deserved a damn song.
1: Do you remember the sort of song has a I guess it's like it's it has a Beyonce. There's like a Beyonce motif without sort Whoa, of being like.
3: Thank you so much for calling me Beyonce. <laughs>
1: yes, that's what I said. Um, do you remember coming up like, oh, we'll sort of like allude to Beyonce because because of this sort of overlap of bee themes in, in your work. Do you remember sort of seeing that parallel? Like, oh, there's a, there's lines we can sort of do that sort of play on imagery from her work.
3: No, I actually kind of wanted to stay away from that because I didn't necessarily want anyone to think that I was trying to mock her mm-hmm. because Beyonce is obviously the queen of everything, the queen, the, the real queen bee. Um but I no, I, I I mean, I actually feel like I was trying to do the opposite kind of.
1: Well, I guess yeah. I'm thinking of like lyrics like they make mad honey, these bees is flawless.
3: So um okay, so I do have so I do have honey. Um mm-hmm. I I don't I don't sell it, but I did name it. The name of my honey is Mad Honeys, which is a play on my last name. My last name is Madden. Um and so I just wanted to bring in. I I actually just wanted to bring in the term "mad honeys" to the song because Mm -hmm. that's the name of my actual honey. And I entered. I didn't do it this summer with the way that the world is, but um, for the past three years, I have entered a honey competition in Chatsworth.
1: Got it. And then I think the my other favorite lyric is "Call us a colony, but don't call us to bother me." Yes, Uh, because I feel like that is a particularly well crafted rap phrase. Uh, do you remember that or coming up with that or sort of just all the inspiration behind that that line?
3: I think Joel came up with Call Us a Colony um, and then I maybe came up with But Don't Call Us to Bother Me, um, which I thought – I mean, I Joel's not – he doesn't necessarily – I mean, he doesn't hate bees, but it, they're definitely not his passion. I was very proud of him for even – saying colony i was like yes joel okay i think you're feel. i think you're feeling what i'm putting out there
1: uh in the first episode and also the the first track on this album you call it parent trap
2: yeah. how about the porsche straight to the store but only organic because i'm at the planet and don't do the pork the kids don't got school today it's time for them chores then go do your homework because i know you've got more yeah i know run up a check Sitter, mama is a real go getter, colder than the winter. Ooh. Don't bring the Virgo out in me. Nah. Cut your TV down, cause mama trying to read. Yeah. This that parent trap, this how mommy rap. Ain't no talking back. We not on my the best. Yeah, they never stress. Nope. I give them my scraps, they don't take no naps, the coop is a mess. Damn. I'm dripping an herb, kicking waste to the curb. Bye. It's rosemary time, cilantro a lime, cause sage is the word. Yeah. There and trap. trap. This how mommy raps. Ain't no talking back. We not going for that.
1: Why trap music as the, the avenue for your message?
3: Because this really came from when I when I was thinking about what kind of music I wanted to make, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, look, I want people to really walk away knowing something, and what music seeps in my head the most. I know more lyrics to songs that I don't want to from, you know, the 90s, the early 2000s. And the reason why I think they have such a permanent stain on my brain is because I was out and I was moving and dancing and having fun. And so, you know, for me, I kind of approach this album as like, I want this to be, you know, again, before I knew that people weren't going to be going to clubs, (laughs) but, but, you know, I was like, I was like, I want this to be a club banger. I want people to be dancing and living their lives in Greece and bees tea comes on and they wake up the next morning, maybe a little dehydrated, but also maybe caring about the bees more.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, On the album, you have a a series of voicemails from friends and, and in one of them, a friend, I think named Kyle says a conscious trap album. What kind of gentrified shit is that? Um, How did you reconcile that? This idea that maybe you'd be hypothetically appropriating a music of a certain culture or, or, or is that kind of the point that you wanted to, it be wrong? Like what, how do you sort of reconcile that? This sort of clearly you, you, you're aware that you are in some ways gentrifying this genre.
3: Um, well, I mean, it all depends on how you look at it because, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm not tapping into the trap genre, yeah. um, you know, and I think that I um, – or ho- hopefully I've really communicated that. But I, I I also understand what people's first thought would possibly be, you know, when you just I'm – I'm thinking of, you know, someone on Twitter that's reading the five main words, you know, so mm-hmm. like – New show, trap music, it's me. Like, what, what, like, what, 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 what does that mean? Mm. And I wanted to have all thoughts and opinions on the album so that we could laugh together.
1: Yeah. There, there's something called piss take rap. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term. I'm not sure how popular this phrase is, but <laughs> it's it's essentially uh, means rap music that is that is the joke is how bad it is and how not seriously the rapper is taking it. And this, though though comedic, is not that. Why was it important for you to be legit to to sound good and and not bad, as this is a comedy rap album? Where is the comedy for you?
3: These subjects aren't necessarily. I mean, they're not necessarily funny. Like, for example, UGLY is about the fact that we throw one third of our food away, right? U-G-L-Y
2: This one's for the veggies, they just trying to survive U-G-L-Y On the daily hustle, cause they gotta stay fly U-G-L-Y Organic is the truth, and perfection's a lie We only recognize if we open our eyes We take damn good food, and we kiss it goodbye Freaky ass potato, busted up tomato, pulling up a carrot, looking like a tornado, judged at the gate, cause the size and shape, if we don't fit the beauty standard, it'll all go to waste, it's not the way you look, because we know that you're tasty, y'all just need to chill, it's not a matter of safety, it's not what's on the outside, but the inside that counts, take a
3: bite, it's alright, not every peach has to bounce. So that compared to how many people are starving in the world is really no laughing matter. I think where it becomes humorous is just more the medium in which I'm choosing to communicate how I feel. I'm somebody who really does love to laugh and learn at the same time. I didn't necessarily do well in school. When people say education was wasted on the youth, they were talking about me. I, you know, really did not, I was more just existing, you know, until I would say my mid to late 20s. -hmm. Um, And that's something that I own and I'm fine with. And, like, I am a student. I will always be. And, like, learning about the food industry, you know, is something that I didn't necessarily know Ten years ago, you know, this is this has all been. I think you know, it really started with the edible garden, and then you know, you end up meeting people and having conversations, and just wanting to dive more into that world. And I just wanted to combine it with some good hip hop beats and ball gowns and headpieces.
1: Yeah, as you talk about learning, I want I want to talk about the evolution of Nicole Richie, the character, the Nicole Richie play. In in this series, but he sort of played in different versions for the last almost uh, 15, 20 years at this point. I want to So I want to talk a little bit about the simple life in this context, which you shot the first season in 2003 um, at a time where there really wasn't reality shows. Like yeah. the real world existed and the Osbournes. But yep. And that's it. Yeah. So I want to first talk about the first season before we talk about the later season. But that first season where you didn't know what you're doing. You're just sort of put in this situation. It's going to be 30 days. How how did you approach it? How, quote unquote, real were you being? Did you kind of get at it already, what you're there to do?
3: Yeah. So, um, yes and no. So... So, I was approached to do this show. Like you said, there were no, basically no reality shows out at that moment. There was the real world, and this show was not that. And then the Osbournes, which this show wasn't either. Yeah. Um, you know, the way it was kind of pitched to me was like, do you want to go on an adventure with your best friend? You don't know where you're going. And this concept wouldn't work now because we've got our phones and, you know, everything else. But we really did give up our phones on that first season. We got on a plane. We had no idea where we were going. We knew we were going somewhere, middle America for sure. And they gave us notes on what to wear. And, I you know, I definitely understood the contrast on screen mm-hmm. of what they were trying to accomplish. But, yeah, I mean, we were pretty much shooting all the time and because i was so young and because there wasn't necessarily a precedent you know i was just more in my 22 year old mind was like yeah this sounds like a fun 30 day adventure sure no problem i will go ahead and do that yes the idea of a season 2 and season 3 got brought up in a in a contractual way but like never in my life did i think that it would turn out to be you know to have as many seasons mm-hmm. as it did, you know, I was just more taking on this adventure. And we had we had so much fun.
1: So after especially after season one, where you sort of see how the show comes together, you see what the feedback is, you you all became producers as the show went on. And you had more say in the sort of situations you were put in, you're like, got it, we're making this sort of comedy. Did you make conscious decisions then of like who the Nicole Richie you are going to be on screen was?
3: I definitely wasn't as aware and I, I think it's kind of like this for all shows, you know. I, I, I don't think I was prepared or aware of the perception or, you know, the massive audience that was gonna be watching this show. And I wasn't necessarily aware of the perception of how people looked at LA either, you know? Yeah. Um but once I started to see that I You know, I love pranks. I love jokes. Um, You know, it doesn't matter to me if I'm the butt of the joke or anyone. Like, if if there is an opportunity to make light of something or make somebody laugh, I am all on board with that. Um, So after season one came out, I mean, everything pretty much changed, I would say, season two. We no longer were shooting all the time. And I think for Buena Murray, which was the production company also, they kept their costs down, you know? They Mm -hmm. were like, we don't need to shoot 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We can just go in, get what we need to, you know? They wanted the visual contrast and we were able to go in and give it to them. And by season four, we had become producers on the show.
1: Mm -hmm. And so when you had, when it was more deliberately shot, where you're like, oh, we're gonna shoot this scene for this contrast, did you, was there more thought put into it from your end of like oh this is what I'm going to try to do like because it wasn't just sort of like we're shooting her in this entire three days you don't know what is user what is not did you attempt to sort of be more deliberate of like oh this is what might be funny or you know like did you try to like ramp up certain parts of yourself you know how much were you thinking about it when it became shot differently and you did have a little bit more control
3: well, I didn't necessarily look at this like, oh, I'm. This is gonna be. This is gonna be the rest of my life at all. I yeah. mean, I didn't even know if I was gonna be on TV. You know, I, I didn't know if I wanted to act. So this opportunity for this show came up, and I re- truly did think it was gonna take up 30 days of my life. Um, but when we started going into season two, and I would say even. You know, even part of season one, I started getting familiar with timing mm. and lines and delivery. And, you know, I don't think I was thinking about it so deliberately, you know, per se, but, but you know, I was able to play around with what I thought would work and what didn't work. And, of course, after season one, you see what ends up on the cutting room floor, Um and what the show wanted. And so, you know, I kind of approached it. Look, for me, this show was not – it wasn't cameras coming into my home. It Actually, the whole point of the show was me exiting my life and going into other people's life. So I did feel this safety and also this separation of myself, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when you go on a retreat or you go to rehab and you're like, I could be someone else for 30 days, you know. And so, like, that's kind of how – I really, you know, approach that. And then, yeah, I would say after season one, I was like, okay, you know, I think I understand what people are wanting from this show. And so let's go ahead and give that to them.
1: Yeah. The th- the thing that when, you know, rewatching it in the context of all of this, so we rewatching watching that and then I watch all your work on forward. And I think the, the thing that I would def- define so much of your comedic work is self-awareness, which I think, is really hard often for a lot of people who are in reality TV situations, but um your comedy often is still grounded in that. How how have you been able to maintain self-awareness and, and what sort of self-discovery has gone hand in hand with that?
3: Um well, you know, I like the rest of the world, I'm sure, you know, I have I have an appreciation for LA. I have seen many versions and characters, uh, you know, throughout. And um, just because that's not necessarily me, I I do appreciate how people think of L.A. and also what people think of celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it's not necessarily true, it is funny. <laughs> and so that's, you know, I think that, like, like even with Nikki Fresh, you know, the idea of me walking into a crystal store in a bejeweled gown and blue eyeshadow, you know, is definitely not true. Yeah. But it's very funny, um, you know, and so, like, I think just kind of knowing what people think of that and saying, I get that, and I also get that too. You know, I I think that that's funny and ridiculous too.
1: And we'll be right back with more Nicole Ritchie. <clears throat> And we're back with Nicole Ritchie. So I want to talk a little bit more about crystals. um, Yes, uh, let's talk about crystals. Yes, so um, you have a song on the album called Little Gems.
3: Yep.
2: If I could look into the future In my crystal ball A city of obsidian And the stones stand tall We'd be sipping on rubies Playing Himalayan bowls No pain in our bodies Pain in a soul When something about you is feeling off And it's not a cold And it's not a cough The source is crystal clear to me You got a case of negative energy It's all love It's all frequency A little chakra Balance is a remedy The source is crystal clear to me You got a case of negative energy Amethyst Quartz Citrine Garnet Tourmaline
1: Um, so, first, um, I want to talk about crystals as they exist in your real life. House of Harlow, 1960, sells a few crystal necklaces Guess for upwards do. of $1,500. One, I think, was almost $2,000. Problem. And I, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, uh, can you tell me a bit about how you choose the crystals and how you prepare them and, and what you believe they do? And I, I want to be clear, I'm asking this earnestly. I do feel like these- Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. No, I right. totally get that. Um, so for me, it actually, I think there's many different ways to view crystals. There, of course, is the kind of like woo-woo version, right? Where, you know, people are, have, I think, you know, people think people have crystals coming out of their ears and they're using it as, as medicine. Um, I'm not using it as my only medicine, but I'm not anti the idea of it being- Healing, you know, mm-hmm. and like I don't know. To me, it's like, well, what's what's more ridiculous? Us putting a pill in our mouth that's been on the market for six months, or maybe using something that's natural that really is a part of the earth and scientifically is alive. Like crystals actually are alive. The properties inside of them are moving, whether they're connected to the earth or not. Um, and so I kind of approached it that way, you know. And for me, also, Crystal's like, I think to have anything that's tangible that you are setting an intention to Mm. is just like a good reminder of what that intention is. So, you know, when you were little, it would be like tie a red string around your finger so you don't forget something. It's not necessarily the string that is making your brain not not forget, but it's something that you could look at, that you could feel, that you could touch and remember, and that connects to whatever you're trying to remember. I kind of feel that way about crystals too. I love crystals. I think they are beautiful. I really do believe that they have certain properties and I love that, but I also feel like to have something that I can hold, to have a piece of the earth that I can hold and put on my body, I really do feel that. Mm. Um, I love raw materials on my body whether it's wood or crystals um that's something that for whatever reason it makes me feel good and i really do and you know i really do feel 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 that way
1: do you but would you say it's accurate that you clearly you know you clearly believe in them yet you also find it funny that you do like yeah i mean like that the show sort of presents it both earnestly and also that you're aware that this is a funny thing about you
3: yeah, I mean, I get, I get what's funny about the idea, but I'm also like, but it, but you know what, it it does, it does work, works for me.
1: The thing that I find so f- fascinating by this entire project is there's there's moments that are both extremely genuine in, in, about how you are about the subject area, especially you know, about bees and crystals and uh, the different food ways. Yet there is like a satiric tone, as we've talked about the. The comedian Guy, Guy Branum recently tweeted uh, a possible definition of camp is pretending you pretending to do a thing while actually doing it. Does, yes. does it feel like does it feel like that?
3: Yes, I haven't heard it put like that. But yes, that feels just like home to me.
1: <laughs> so um, we're talking a little bit about sort of Larry David of it all and, and Nikki Fresh as and Nicole Richie, the, the Larry David to your it is an extension of yourself and a sort of part of yourself. Um, I guess my first question, so to who is Nikki Fresh as it relates to you in so much as that it is an extension of, I guess you'd say Larry David's id or, and sort of his worst impulses. What is she of your impulses?
3: So Nikki Fresh represents the side of me that constantly wants to be at one with mother earth. Um, I really do think that who I am, you know, even for example, now, being on Zooms for four and five hours a day and being inside in the air conditioning uh, un- un- under lights, that is a different version of me than the version of me that's outside in mm-hmm. my garden getting vitamin D, um, you know, ha- working with fresh water and fresh vegetables. Um, and so, you know, I would say that Nikki Fresh. Represents the side of me that wants to stay connected to nature.
1: When I think about Nikki Fresh and, and also candidly Nicole and everything, where you sort of you are Nicole Richie interacting with people, some who do or do not know you're making comedy, and sometimes the line between your real life and the show is unclear. Like you brought Lionel Bees in candidly Nicole and yes. but you actually were bringing him those bees <laughs> yes. you know so what interests you about the uncanny about the liminal space where it's sort of unclear where exactly real is
3: well it's funny because we shot that episode and i didn't have bees yet oh. so it actually was my life copying i did something in the show and i was like i love this idea And really did it. I Mm. met these beekeepers as I was shooting this show, pretending to give my dad bees, and then ended up really doing it. Talking to them, talking to them about bees, you know, being like, oh, I think that I can actually do this. Um, And then actually going ahead and doing it. Uh, We did something around chickens for Candidly Nicole, and I also did not have chickens yet. And so that show for me, and I created it with Carrie Franklin, who I also worked on this show with, um, and we joke about it all the time. I'm like, you know, candidly, Nicole, I was doing it. Like, I mean, we were we were having fun, and it actually came from it came from the idea. I did that show with Telepictures, and they wanted to do a talk show with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, guys, I really don't think that I'm going to be good sitting on a couch asking people about their movies. Like, that's not where I soar necessarily. But I wish there was some sort of talk show just about, like, how fast the world moves. And, like, there was, like, a gel nail trend. And, you know, it was this and that. Like, we hated Agave. We loved Agave. Like, you know, it was like this whole, like, it was like Twitter was just coming around. And it was like, we hate, we love, we hate, we love.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And... um, you know, for me, like, I wasn't on the internet all the time. So, like, I'd check in three days later and the world would be different. And I was like, wait, what? Who do we hate? What's happening? Um, and that's kind of where the idea of that show came about. I was like, what if it's this kind of five-minute, not talk show, but, like, a check-in of, like, all these things that are happening in the world and, like, what like what are all of these? Like, what are all of these things? Mm-hmm. Um, and... I forgot how we even went into chickens, but once I started, but you know, we are working with real people, um, as we're shooting this show. So when I was out there, um, with these chicken owners and talking to them about chickens, it was a concept that I really liked. I was like, wow, I really love the idea of having my own eggs. And they were like, you know, they're so great with kids and they just give and give, um, and I immediately went online and saw that Martha Stewart had chickens, and so I was like, "Well, I guess I got to do it."
1: I, in these, in those moments, I, the thing that I, I find curious is like where you're meeting these chicken people or you're meeting these bee people, and you do find it interesting so much so that you then like follow through with it. Are you bee But you are in the same context. You're doing these shows that are ostensibly comedic are do you feel like yourself like do you feel like you're being you or you being this character you know like is is it unclear to yourself like is there a sort of blurring of where real is on in any moment in these situations
3: well there are certain things I had a personal connection to like the chickens and the bees and then some things I talked about that I didn't that I yeah. didn't, you know? Um, so, for example, yes, we did an episode on gel nails. This is when they first, you know, I I wasn't like, oh, my God, I love them so much. I want to have a nail line, you know? Um, but I think for me, yeah, it was this kind of, like, like, we were laughing and having fun. And then it was this, like, real-life realization that, like, I really did want to be outside more and connect to nature more and was drawn to these to these animals and these beings. And that I think that was a real surprise for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Watching watching that show and then also Nikki Fresh, there are these people you interact with. There's people that obviously are comedians that I know. So I'm like, well, they're, they're people that obviously were cast to sort of do something. Yes. Yeah. Your dad is your dad. So you're like, okay, well, he vaguely knows something's going on. And then there's sort of people, which you don't know who's in on it, who's not <laughs> in on it. And yeah. you never do. You know, yeah. like is you is there a reason you sort of never explicitly say what's real and what's not like what why why is that what do you prefer about sort of this mystery of how um real everything is how real everyone else is taking it what do you like about that sort of that space
3: you know i've gone back and forth i think with with every show of like how do i make the show i want to make um but i don't want it to be uh, mistaken for a reality show and I don't want it to be this and I don't want it to be that. And you know what? I kind of had to like throw that away because I found that it was limiting me. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I don't want to approach anything that I'm creating with what I don't want it to be. Mm. Um. So I'm going to let that go and I'm going to figure out what I do want it to be. So... With Candidly Nicole, we had worked with, we did this little thing at the end called Man on the Street. And being with real people is just something that I, when when I'm shooting that show, I just enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. And people enjoy it. You know, I mean, you have to sign something before you're even stepping (laughs) on camera. So I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not like attacking people. Um, But I don't know. For me, I think it's the, I think it's not knowing, not knowing who they're gonna be and what's gonna come out and then, you know, having to kind of improvise off of them was just something that I really enjoyed and something that we wanted to bring onto this show. Now, the first episode of Nikki Fresh, Joel and Benger on the show, um, I think I told you the process of how this whole comedy album even came to light. Mm -hmm. And when I walked out of that meeting, in real life, immediately I could appreciate the juxtaposition of me and my I think I was wearing like this white, long, flowy dress. You know, I went in there and it's like all dudes, everyone had tattoos. And um when I sat with Quibi and was like, I'm gonna do this show, I was like, we can't do this scene with casted actors, with casted like mm-hmm. dude actors. Like We just can't. It's going to be so much funnier if it really is my husband and if it's Joel and Benj. They don't like being on TV. They are not actors. You know, they, um, you know, they didn't necessarily want to do it. But I was like, guys, it's very important that we recreate that scene because that's going to set the tone for the whole show. And I thought they did a really good job.
1: Yeah. What's interesting because you play off their discomfort because their discomfort is in acting but it comes off as discomfort with talking to you about this idea.
3: Yeah, yeah. And um Navid who's in that room also I don't think he was in the first one. So when I was explaining all, of, all 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 of the things and and you know when I'm explaining everything that I wanted out of this album that it you know it didn't even make the final cut because this show is five minutes long. So I was reciting poems and, you know, singing and talking about visuals. And, you know, I never wanted to be, it's like, I don't want to make a rap album and have a sideways baseball cap and saggy jeans. Mm-hmm. Like that's not yeah. what this was, you know, this was like I'm always gonna be in a flowing gown and a headpiece and it's gonna be very feminine. And so it was like combining all of those things.
1: I've heard you talked at length of about knowing who your your House of Harlow 1960 customer is and really sort of being and tapping into that woman and what they want and what they wear and what they like. Do you do you feel like you know who the audience of your comedy is? Do you feel like there is an overlap of those two people? Or do you, you know, how do you how do you translate that sort of knowledge base to your comedy?
3: I don't approach anything like I'm for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and i th- I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you approached your work like that, you know um, I just have to do what I think is funny and share my humor um, and know that and and know and hope that people that have the same humor will connect to it yeah um, and that's kind of how I approach design too, you know, um, I'm not necessarily making, look, I'm not a Zara, you know, I'm not making like, we have t-shirts, we have jeans, we have this, we have that. Like it is like bed jackets and kimonos. And like you said, yes, I do fine jewelry. I make $1,500 crystals, but they're $1,500 because they're handmade in, in LA. And I actually go, I go and source these crystals and then I sage them and charge them in the full moon and then set them in diamonds.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Um, now is that for everyone I mean I think it should be <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
3: if it's not it's not you know
1: yeah i have heard you talk about sometimes honoring all sides of yourself and how your your comedic work is a different side of yourself than necessarily your your, your fashion work or even your home life um I don't know if this I, I'm, I'm curious about this question because I don't know if it, you'll have i I don't, I'm just prefacing it where sometimes I have these questions like, I don't know if this makes sense. Um, in one interview I read, you talk about accepting that you lead with your heart uh, that and not your head. And I think people think of comedy as a, a heady art form, mm-hmm. as a sort of like analytical, thought-driven art form. Yeah. What does it mean to pursue comedy with your heart?
3: I think like... That's a great question. Um, I think for me, like, again, you know, knowing that not everybody shares your humor, mm. but your humor is the only thing that you have, you know, that's authentically yeah. you. So if I went around town telling a Jerry Seinfeld joke, those jokes wouldn't land, you know? Um, I think that many people's jokes come from something personal, you know? And, and, and um, I, I, I recently watched. I think it was Judd Apatow's masterclass where he's like, all of my comedies I write as dramas first, mm-hmm. and I definitely understand that in a concept. You know, I, I, I think it's like taking something that you care about will give root to what you're creating. And then drawing comedy around that will feel authentic and natural and may not be necessarily somebody's style. But if it feels real and if it feels true, then that's all that you can do.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, comedy has a lot of uses to a person. You know, creatively, it, it can be used to sort of reckon with one's life, as as you're talking about, or or, or it can be a sort of defense mechanism. I, I think, like for myself, I'll use comedy to maybe even keep people at a distance. <laughs> as, a, as a person in the public eye who's grown up in the public eye in many ways, where where people feel like they have a right to your life and to know who mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you process your celebrity through your comedy and or your comedy is protective for you?
3: I do, yes. I do use my comedy as a shield for sure um, because I think once The Simple Life came out, you know, I'd be on the street and people are like, hey, bitch, you know? And, <laughs> you know, and so... I think instead of me being like, no, I need to show you who I really am. I was like, I was like, yeah, bitch, love it. You know? Yeah. And I can just, to me, I can turn that on so fast. And I honestly, I I didn't even think about it until you asked that question. I'm like, yeah, I think it is. I think it, it, it holds, it holds a protective separation, um, from me and, uh the person who you know thinks that they know me instead of being like no you don't know me i'm like Mm. yes i'm going to give you that side because it's not the whole side i guess you know
1: yeah you mentioned a second season what what do you feel like you have left to say with this idea what what about the nikki fresh character as an extension of you do you feel like has legs that do you feel like there's there's more for you to explore
3: um, there's lots for me to explore I I can't share too much but what I will say is as far as Nikki Fresh the artist, I think she's also going to be you know exploring a world where like she was ready to go out and dominate the world at beyonce level and play <laughs> mm-hmm. sold out arenas in a world now that we don't go to arenas yeah and what does that look like and I have heard so many people, since this pandemic and and the show's not going to be pandemic focused at all sure. um but you know i'm just like i think that one thing that i have heard over and over is is you know because people's lives have slowed down people are really going outside and connecting to nature And being like, I like waking up and watching the sunrise or I got a little basil plant in my kitchen and that's something that I really appreciate, you know, so... I remember when no one knew where the food was going to come from when when, when yeah. we were like, oh, we can't leave our I think it was like 14 days, right? They were like, don't leave your house for 14 days. And then everyone just came and raided grocery stores. And it was terrible. And we had to, you know, let elderly people in first just to make sure they got enough food. And I think that that did make a lot of people pause, hopefully, and question to themselves, how much am I outsourcing that I don't necessarily need to? So mm. those conversations, I mean— even with UGLY, like that conversation is nowhere near done, you know? Um, I just saw on Instagram, um, I think it's Whole Foods or one 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 of the grocery stores, or maybe a few, they now have an imperfect foods section. Um oh, that's
1: fascinating. Which is, <laughs> which is,
3: that. yeah, which is, which I think, it, you know, which I think is so great because... We can't blame grocery stores. They're uh, supply and demand. You know, the mm-hmm. issue is that we, as humans, we have to change our standard of beauty in the food industry, and we have to get used to seeing a carrot that's not call it. Uh, I, I don't know what it, it. You know, it, it needs to be seven inches long, or it gets mm-hmm. thrown away. Like we, it, it's it's really up to us to say to them, we will buy this. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to take some time, but we absolutely have to do it.
1: So thinking about your career for this interview, I was sort of struck by, you know, you start off in TV playing a version of yourself, learning how to farm, broadly defined, and, and now you're playing a different version of yourself, also learning how to farm in, in a way. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> does, does it feel full circle for you? What is I feel the, like what it's a-
3: different. It's different farm vibes. Yeah. Um, I'm not like a cow or a, you know, like I don't necessarily, like I still don't know how to milk a cow per se, Um, you know, and it's not really in me to want to learn how. So I would say that those two are different for sure. Um, I love my, I mean, I live in LA. So, you know, I by no means live on a farm, but I did watch uh, The Biggest Little Farm and I found it fascinating.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess there's season two, season three. You can learn how to milk a cow.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. M- maybe and, I will. I'm, I'm, and, I, I'm. Literally, I'm literally like, I'll never learn how to do it. Who knows? I mean, it might be in season two.
1: Yeah, I mean, then it'll be fully full circle. And yeah, be, yeah. But now We're almost there. We're sort of half. We're the circle's almost closed. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That sound means it's time for our final segment, which is the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because this is comedy, it's a a laughing round. Uh, so, <laughs> thank you for indulging. You're um, welcome. <laughs> do you have a favorite joke, like a joke joke?
3: Ooh, like like a one liner joke? Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> um, I don't know, but I'll tell you. I love a pun. There is not a pun. That I do not laugh at, and I I have a weakness for a dick joke. Like I think that they're funny. No matter what you say, if you end it with my dick, it's it it is funny to me. I'm immature and that is just my humor.
1: Got it. Um as a as a as a maker of candles, I was wondering what the room you're currently in smells like.
3: The room I'm currently in smells like a um diptyque jasmine candle.
1: Mm uh who's your favorite chicken this week and why
3: my favorite chicken this week is popsicles which is my white silky and the reason she's my favorite is because she's at the she is at the um she is at the bottom she people uh people the other chickens are really mean to her um the term pecking order really is that 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 is that is a real thing Um, Queen Latifah is at the top
1: Mm. and
3: popsicles is at the bottom and they are not nice to her. And so I always feel the need to show her a little more love. Um, And she's the cutest.
1: As this is early fall, so late summer going to early fall. What have you recently harvested?
3: I just harvested my honey for the year. Um, and then... I'm on the kind of the last round. I still have some eggplants coming in. Hmm. It's still pretty hot here in L.A., so the tomatoes are still booming. They actually should have stopped long ago. Um, The corn is coming in. I have not harvested it. It's going to be in October. But me growing my own corn, like, I've never felt more legit.
1: (laughs) That is, I didn't know people that grew corn just, like, in homes. In my head, that is a field.
3: Yeah, no. I mean, I have, like... You know, I mean, it's very small, but even just like having the few, I think I have like five stocks and I'm like, all right, I have a corn maze.
1: You just walk around it. The maze is yeah. you have to walk around in a circle. Yeah. In in interviews, I've heard you talk about being an Adam Sandler fan. And um, I think of myself as, uh, as, as well as an Adam Sandler fan. What is your favorite Adam Sandler movie or the, your favorite Adam Sandler movie you've seen recently? Because I assume you might pick a classic, but what is your sort of like under-the-radar favorite Adam Sandler movie.
3: Okay. Um, Billy Madison is my absolute favorite. hmm And then, wait, is it is it Waterboy, where he's from New Orleans? Yes. Yes. Okay, Waterboy... My husband loves his later. Like my husband loves Jack and Jill. I mean, I, 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 mean, I definitely loved it. It's not necessarily my favorite, but I like. You know, I thought it was really funny. I, I love him playing his sister. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really funny scenes in that movie, like when she gets off the bed and there's just like the big stain of sweat. Um, but you know, you can feel that he bring. First of all, you you can feel that he brings all of his homies onto the on to the movies you know and they just like i feel that they it's it's almost like you can feel yourself being on set and seeing them make fun of each other and um i just love his humor so yeah. so so much
1: i do feel like jack and jill had had its detractors but it's like making a comeback as yes. like the, the cool choice
3: <laughs> yes i love the, yes the, the cool choice
1: this is i want to shout out my producers who are who are, who are Fans of yours since Simple Life in there, they want to know uh, what was your favorite moment or the moment you think about most where you're like, I can't believe that is what I did on television.
3: I would say sticking my hand up a cow's ass, yeah. really. Um, I mean, I'll tell you that I don't necessarily remember the day, but I will never forget the feeling like I, I could I can my, like my arm will go into remembering it just by me talking about it, because you really have to use force. They don't want you to go in there, obviously. So yeah. you have to commit. It's not just like, oh, I'm gonna test it and see what happens. Like you have to decide, you know, and really go in there. Um, and I never wanna do that again.
1: Yeah, but you have the muscle memory, so you'll never forget it.
3: But I do clean my chickens' butts because I I, I, I get my chickens when they are two days old. So the, fr- the first four weeks, of their lives, they're actually inside and they're under a light. And every day you have to you have to unplug their butts just to make sure that they because it doesn't doesn't real they're all fuzzy back there, um, and you have to un unplug them every every morning.
1: And on that note, I think that's where we'll that's where we'll uh, end the interview. Yeah,
3: feel, feels good. Perfect. Feels like yeah. a natural place to stop.
1: Thank you so much.
3: Thank you so much. This was so much fun.
1: That's it for another episode of Good One. You can listen to Nikki Fresh's Unearth wherever you listen to music. Watch Nikki Fresh on the Quibi app. Follow Nicole on social media at Nicole Ritchie. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. Gautam Trigashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing round suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at Good I am Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good one is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with Jamie Dimitriu. Have a good one.
0: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running. <laughs> but they choose to do it.